0: Hey team, Oliver here. This week I interviewed Joseph Brennan, co-founder of Zoba, an analytics company working on optimizing micromobility operations. It may sound like a pretty nerdy topic, but the top line is that their clients have seen up to 74% more rides per scooter simply from operational tweaks that Joseph and the team have suggested. I got really excited about them when I first heard about them and I'm stoked to finally have a chance to bring them onto the podcast. As micromobility operations get more sophisticated and cities get stricter on operators and rule enforcement, services like Zoba offers will become even more important. I loved this conversation, and I hope that you do too. As might be obvious, this was recorded for our new YouTube channel, and is being released on audio form too here. I've tried my best to narrate what's happening on the screen at certain points, but if you do want to see it, then head over to the link in the show notes to check it out. And with that, here's Joseph. Let's go. All right, hey everybody. Uh, this is Oliver Bruce from the Micromobility Podcast and now show. Um, I have us uh, with us today, Joseph Brennan. How are you doing, Joseph? Doing well. Yeah, doing well. Excellent. Um, well, look, I'm really excited to have you on. Uh, we have been, uh, I've been following your work probably for about a year or so. Uh, and uh, I've been really excited to, to kind of learn a bit more about it as, as um, when it first came up, mainly because I think the idea of uh, software kind of enabled operations and analytics is, is so, well, I, when I was at Uber, I picked up so much of like understanding why that was so powerful. Um, and it's been really exciting to see that getting getting applied to the micromobility space. Um, and And I think the way that you're, dealing with is really interesting. So maybe what we could do is is start for the audience kind of right back at the beginning, like what's your background, where did you come from? Um, Yeah, and and then we can kind of work through into how you started Zoba.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, Yeah, the, the Uber background on this topic is interesting. I feel like Uber in a lot of ways kind of got everyone thinking about these problems. And so for us, you know, oftentimes that's the first thing people go to because they really, I think, made these sort of cool problems, these geospatial analytics issues. Um, so I guess kind of top line for JZOBA, for anyone that doesn't know, before I kick into the background, we are a uh, micromobility, primarily optimization platform. So we are optimizing operations. And so what this tends to look like is Uh, Vehicle placement, task automation, so think like you've got swaps, pickups, drops, all these different things. We're kind of creating logic behind that to automate some of those decisions. Uh, And then additionally, we're getting into the dynamic pricing game in a pretty big way here as well, which is where we think a lot of this is, is going eventually. Um, as far as kind of my pathway into micromobility, um, it was it was definitely a bit of like stumbling into it. So, I started ZOBA with my brother Daniel in 2016. We were both grad students at the time. He was in uh, Boston, I was in Beijing. Uh, he had the original idea, so Daniel was kind of fresh out of the military and been amazed by all the sorts of geospatial tech they were using there. And so, he had this sort of idea that we could start a company that was trying to sort of elevate the geospatial analytics space um, in a pretty horizontal way. So this was like pre-Kepler on the Uber topic, this was pre-Kepler and a lot of the sort of open source innovation that's been happening at Uber. Um, And we felt like in general, people were just, you know, not making, not taking advantage of all the data that they were building, mostly from smartphones, but, but generally in an interesting way. Uh, So, initially, kind of the the path into micro, so we're working on these, you know, this spatial analytics platform generally, uh, and we're having conversations in a lot of spaces, and then just felt this immediate pull from any of the micromobility operators we talked to. This was super early, so these were like people operating, you know, more kind of municipal bike shares and stuff like this, this was 2017, so just when, you know, just kind of early on, even before Bird was really uh, becoming super popular, around the same time, we met up with um, a guy who leads our data science team, Evan Fields, who was finishing a PhD at MIT, focused entirely on kind of novel demand forecasting techniques for uh, mobility systems that have hard assets. So not like two sided marketplaces, but micro or car share or whatever. And so kind of the the combination of timing, we were already working on on spatial analytics and and, uh, and meeting some key people at the right time, it all just kind of converged. And so we dug into the micro space, went pretty vertical there and have been doing that for uh a few years now uh and it's been tons of fun cool to grow up with the space never expected to like work on on urban tech i grew up uh my brother and i grew up in like really small town texas um so it's kind of fun now playing this role in in city life totally um and and so talk uh, the the like
0: the geospatial thing like for someone who doesn't have any reference point like when you when you talk about this like what do you, what do you do? <laughs> like, yeah, if you're coming at yeah. this from like, oh, I don't really understand what you're talking about. All of this stuff is pretty complex to me. Um, what, yeah. What, what does that look like?
1: Yeah, so actually this is this is a, it's a really interesting question. So I think the way I would answer this now is pretty different than the way I would answer this previously. So I'd say I would say what Zoba does now is we automate a lot of uh, sort of operational interventions, but they're all operational interventions that are really kind of time and space sensitive. So we're deciding like, hey, you've got a thousand vehicles. This is the ten percent you should be doing a price intervention, or you're placing fifty of them out in the market. Here's where they should go. Um, and so it's not when you think geospatial you think like maps um like map making and and there are certainly uh maps involved but the real core thing is sort of decision automation as it relates to very dynamic questions in in space and time um so i'd say it's really it's really more about kind of very concrete things we place the vehicle there not there we uh price the vehicle differently on that corner versus that corner
0: and is it so so, yeah wow i'm okay i'm really excited about the pricing thing mainly because we we can come back to that though but the um the is it just for placement so say for example you do work with um a company let's yeah. give them a name that is four letters and starts maybe with uh some letter like a t or an l or a whatever yeah. Yeah. the 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 kind of when you go and start uh working with them is it around just even just placement of the vehicle in the beginning of the day Is it because I mean, once a vehicle was kind of started, like, are you, are you starting to intervene at multiple stages throughout the day in terms of moving a scooter or an e-bike around on a shared system? Or is it mainly just the, like where it gets placed in the morning?
1: it depends I mean so if it's a swap so I think I think uh, I and mean, we we'll get into this later but there is a big conversation there has been this sort of quiet uh, ground shift in terms of how operations are happening in micro so if it is a non swappable fleet so kind of the first iteration those things t- the life kind of the the charge cycle so to speak on non swappable fleets is, is very basic right the vehicle you go get the, the 10 or twenty percent of the vehicles that are dead maybe more if you're getting very high utilization you take them uh, back to your warehouse, you charge them, you place them out at 4 a.m. or 5 a.m. or whatever. In a, uh, in a swappable context, this is like dramatically, dramatically more complex. And so, there's no kind of natural, get all the vehicles at night, move them. These things are happening throughout the course of the day and th- there are many more kind of decision factors going on. So, you are rebalancing vehicles, you are having to decide how many to rebalance, should you rebalance any. We don't have to move them anymore because we're not taking them back to the warehouse, they're just on the street. Um, we're swapping batteries, we're doing point maintenance, we might have to pick some up. And these things are happening much, more dynamically all day long. So I would say if it is a swappable fleet, this is an all day thing. And it's, it's not just about this vehicle's poorly allocated, this one's well allocated. It's kind of, it's kind of the entire operations logic. Um, so should I be swapping on route? Should I not be? Um, do I have kind of like regulatory issues I have to solve on route to my rebalances? And it gets really complex and um, like a much more uh, much more challenging problem for non-solvables. It's 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 pretty much what you said. Like you know, morning they go out. You don't touch them the rest of the day.
0: Totally. Okay. So you've got. I know you've got some beautiful uh, images and things like that. And I was just wondering, can you pull those up? Because let's talk about it.
1: Now, and I guess before I show this, one one thing I want to provide context on, kind of like someone's new to spatial analytics, you know, how, how to think about it. The first generation of spatial analytics, like a lot of analytics, was, was I think mostly to inform. So you imagine like ArcGIS or whatever, you know, uh, Kepler, uh, you're, you're pulling up data, you're looking at it, you're being like, I get rides over there, I get rides over here, um, whatever you're looking at. The way Zoba approaches this is much more like if you used to use your, your Uber example, we're like a backend decision-making process that relates to spatial problems. So when, 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 you, uh, when you open the Uber app, and they serve you a price, and they serve you an ETA. There is a tremendous amount of complex um, data processing and data analytics happening behind the scenes to serve you that. And a lot of it relates to space and time, but like it's not, it's not just showing you a map. Um, it's 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 getting to that final decision. And so I think. Zoba's more kind of on on that end of the spectrum is kind of how to think about it but in terms of what this looks like so like if you think about if you think about like an average fleet the way the way I, I usually like describe this is uh, like I'll show you a couple of things quickly so if you imagine like a, like a micro fleet um, that's moving there's, there's a lot of really interesting sort of unique supply dynamics with with micro mobility um, that aren't the same with like an Uber or or lots of systems and so one of those is is that the users uh, create the supply network primarily right? So if we have a 1,000 vehicle fleet and we were balancing like you know, 10, 20% of the, of the fleet on any given day, but the users are doing two rides per vehicle per day, the users are, in order of magnitude, more frequently um, creating the supply network. They're choosing where the vehicles are left and what vehicles will be available to the next cohort of users. Um, does, that, does that make sense? Like they're, they're, really, they're really creating the system and ZOBA is just you know, operating within the system they create. And so just kind of show you what this looks like, uh, this, this little kind of circulation visual, these areas in blue are on net attractors of vehicles. So vehicles flow in there more frequently than they leave. Um, areas in red are the exact opposite. They're leaving more frequently than they show up. And so what you see is in most markets, this is pre-COVID, uh, COVID data looks very different uh, just because there's less uh, circulation because there's, there's fewer, fewer commuters. But if we look pre-COVID, you know, you got people flow into downtown Austin uh, in the morning, and then here in the afternoon, they flow back out, right? And you have some nice circulation, but anywhere you look in the market, there are asymmetries. So if we look here in, you know, um, near Zilker Park, people are dropping vehicles on net here both in the morning and in the afternoon. Over the course of the day, um, supply starts to accumulate here, there's less supply available in the whole network, and as a result, the network as a system really suffers and you just, you know, the economic stuff for everything drags. And so the way the Zoba system works is basically we're trying to understand not just like the next set of user behaviors, but how the whole system will evolve over the course of a day. So just to give give you an example in Austin again, so this visual is uh, demand evolution throughout sort of a generic day in Austin. So where do we expect users? Yeah.
0: Yeah. So when it, when it's going up, is that what does that mean? Does that mean that there's demand there, or that there's new supply that's been deposited there?
1: Yeah. So so um, yeah. Let's just just clarify. So the the higher levels, so the higher heights, are higher demand. And when we say demand at Zoba, like we we actually mean demand. We mean where users want rides. Not, um, not trip starts, not app opens. Um, this is a Zoba generated proxy for demand and we're trying to measure it as best we can. And it's a lot of like what makes our system special is that we're, we're quite good at that. So this is measured in rides wanted per hour. Um, it's unitful, so we're looking at kind of how demand is flowing throughout Austin throughout the course of the day. This is sensitive to weather and all the different things that might be going on in the market, and this is like one of the one of the core building blocks here. the The other core building block is understanding. I, I mentioned that supply, um, kind of that, that supply factor earlier, where the users are, you know, the users are dropping the vehicles where they want to end their trip, right? The users don't care about how well positioned your your fleet is; it's it's not material to them. What this looks like is, for any given point, you want to understand what the kind of probability distribution is of places that the users will drop the vehicle. So if we just look at University of Texas here, this is for a weekday morning. Um, university of Texas, big uh, university, you know, tens of thousands of students. The thickness of the line here is uh, suggesting the relative probability that a vehicle will be taken to some destination given a trip start. So, If the trip starts where I have my cursor, where is it likely to go? It's most likely to go, as we can see, somewhere else in the University of Texas. The students are taking it to another part of campus and then infrequently uh, south towards downtown. And then if those users take it, you know, let's say just west here, then we can say, okay, so then if the vehicle ends up west, where is it likely going to go next? And if you have these pieces together with the demand, you can basically model how the market will evolve over the whole day, and then make whatever limited interventions you're making in such a way that they have sort of you know asymmetrically high impact on the on the market. Um, and another way to think about it is, is sort of like chaining together rides or placing vehicles such that they flow downstream to demand. Um, And then what this looks like in a very concrete way, it's pretty simple, right? So in a rebalancing context, it's like for a swappable fleet, you're just saying, you know, pick up this vehicle ID and and reallocate it to one of these points. Um, I had mentioned earlier that we've got a bit more full stack in terms of task unification. Today in practice, what this looks like is, you know, this is kind of three different van loads of about 50 vehicles each. And we're just saying, look, you're gonna start with this van and these are all the stops you're going to go through. Um, in a non-swappable context, that would just be like drops of vehicles. You know, the van's full of vehicles from the warehouse we're dropping. In a swappable context, like I said, you know, that could be uh, pick up a vehicle, drop a different charge vehicle, um, swap a battery, 311, compl- like, you, you know, there's, there's a lot more on route that might be changing uh, but ultimately what we're trying to generate are these sort of task lists that go out to an operator and then they implement this and if everything's working right it should really change the um the downstream kind of readiness of the fleet to meet whatever demand where it is
0: totally oh dude this is fascinating so i mean that the, the, like that level of routing i mean i just remember talking to some of the early operators in the scooter game right and i think yeah um the early early days it was like um we know where the scooter is we think there's demand here we can pull some of the basic analytics of knowing that if someone's tried to open the scooter app to see if there was availability there wasn't so they've gone and just i can see the granularity of um you know like you're getting out of the point where you route it and be like, look, drops these scooters off in these places. Um, I take it all of that is done. Um, those calculations are largely done. Um, uh, how do I put it? Uh, the, you're getting to the point where um, the entire, you're, you're optimizing for revenue, right? So you're, you're looking for, yeah. um, ways to drop the scooter to somewhere that the, the probability is high that someone's going to go take a trip. Um, yeah, but we have not someone talked... will take a
1: trip after and after and after.
0: Totally, totally, totally. Yeah. Um, the thing is at the moment we, we haven't really even talked about pricing and, and, and like at the moment, I, I mean, I certainly don't know of anybody, uh, who's done integrated planning, um, and is looking at demand, like price responsive, um, uh, like there's no scooter app that I've opened where I've said, I want to go from here to here. And then they've said, cool, walk to the scooter and this, this scooter is going to cost you, you know, $3 for that trip or $1 for that trip, because you're actually taking it to a place that we want you to go to. Um, they talked about, like, I, I remember interviewing, uh, actually, no, it wasn't when I did the interview with, uh, Jepetsky, but like, uh, Ryan from jump uh, yeah. was interviewed by, by Jason, um, Jason Calacanis and he was talking at the time that they had done incentive programs for people riding into demand areas. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was about the only thing that I've ever seen. Like if you look at still, we haven't really seen any of the operators actually get no, fully integrated yet. And yeah. you know, where, where, where's that going? Like, is that, is that a thing? I mean, I assume price demand, price responsive demand is just going to be the next big win. Right.
1: Yeah, so so I think dynamic pricing is, is definitely on the horizon. I think we're going to see more and more of this. So one last thing on the, the routing. The other thing with routing I think is challenging is um, there's enough different about the micro-mobility use case. that kind of frustrates a lot of uh, current routing engines, so just like battery levels. There are certain heuristics that are relevant to the microspace where, you know, if you need to know what the battery level is for a certain kind of threshold to pick up on route, that's, that's hard for most systems built for for parcels and the like. On the pricing piece, so if I could show you something else quickly, like the, um, so I'm pretty excited about this. I think this is going to be a big way the space moves. Um, Right now, like you're saying, there's very little dynamic pricing work being done, even though it's so commonplace in, in a lot of other kind of adjacent spaces. Um, and in addition to that where you do see dynamic pricing you, you can't see this as the user but like on the back end what's typically happening is there's either like a, a time threshold so vehicle been idle for two days and at that point it's already a huge problem um, but then it gets a it gets a price intervention or the other thing that's happening is there's kind of static geofences. so if I drop in this specific area it doesn't change I get I get an incentive so it's not it's not actually really dynamic in any sort of meaningful way uh, it's just kind of you know, Altering, altering the user experience a bit. We think that the main blockers for this is, it's just a really hard problem in micro because you have to be right like many hours in advance. And so if you think about like Uber, Uber has a uh, price responsive supply. If they need more drivers on the road, they can get more drivers on the road. They're doing a matching problem where, you know, they raise your price a little bit, they raise the driver's price a little bit or, or pay out a little bit and there's kind of this nice matching problem and the supply moves, you can get the driver wherever you wanna get the driver. Um, with micro, like you, you just you, it, you can. The user's not telling you where they're going. They're not telling you how long the trip's going to be. You have to kind of anticipate a lot about the user than other systems. They would just signal with their with their search or whatever. Um, the way we've approached this is, and, and the main thing they're missing is if you can't accurately model the demand over many hours, you just you can't do anything, right? There's no, um, there's so many kind of missing factors from what the what the user's telling you. Um, We're using a lot of the same tech that I showed you earlier. So like understanding how the demand's going to evolve, understanding what those chains of rides are gonna be to basically use the user user incentives to sort of uh, it's it's almost like user rebalancing, right? So we we flag say five or ten percent of the fleet for a user um, you know price decrease on trip start. We don't have to make it like drop off constraint. We don't have to say like you have to drop the vehicle here, which is which is fairly user hostile because we know the probability distribution of where the users are likely to go. Like if I if I'm pretty certain you're going to take the vehicle to downtown from where you are in the grand scheme of things it's not that beneficial for me to require you to go downtown. I just have to continue to model that and do my best at, it kind of, you know, estimating the probabilities. Totally.
0: I, I yeah, there's that uh, th- when you say that there are just so many variables that you can't know about a, a customer, it just really drives that home to me of the, you know, I think about it as like, you're right. I've walked up. I've been walking into town and passed a scooter. And the scooter's in a terrible place. And you kind of yeah. go like, You should be paying me to ride this into the demand area.
1: Especially with mopeds. Like, especially with mopeds, where, where it costs so much to move. Like with kick scooters, it's you know, the rebalancing can be challenging. But I mean, the, more and more operators are getting into mopeds. With mopeds, they they should they should yeah, they should definitely be paying you to move especially, just because it's it's so it's so costly to move them.
0: Totally. And, and yet it's very, very hard to be able to uh, surface that intent from me to, to, and also I wouldn't necessarily, it's like, I've ridden, I've, I've decided to walk into town. So I'm going past and I'm not in another transport mode. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> and I'm like, but I would only make that decision if I then didn't need it pretty much right. Like, I'm not going to go and say, oh, I want to get into So it's this weird, this weird thing of like, how do you surface that, that, um, that demand? And then I think that's where like the, the kind of the overall, the idea of an overall marketplace for mobility comes in. And, and mm-hmm. this is, you know, I just love to hear your thoughts on, um, you know, like the, the idea of an infrastructure and, and kind of going back in history a little bit, like, that's what I worked on a little bit when I was at Uber um, was this idea of, you know, what would happen if there was, if, we looked at it as a strategic threat, which was what happens if Lyft combined all of their supply with all the taxis and with every other player in the world, right? That, mm-hmm. that these, that all of the, um, all, that there was a, one person who said, I want a ride and then everybody could bid for that ride you know, that there yeah. was like an open marketplace for this. And I can see that that's maybe going to come. You ne- you couldn't do it exist- on an existing infrastructure at the moment, but you might see it coming along with like some of the open marketplaces that have been built on crypto and that sort of stuff. So, yeah. you know, um, and that there would be a- an open marketplace for supply and an open marketplace for demand and that th- those would start getting met. And so you would be able to see, for example, surface the ride, that's saying I'm going from here to here, and it can be serviced by a bus, or it can be serviced by a train, or it can be serviced by mm-hmm. a taxi, or it can be serviced by a car, or whatever. Um, and that that's how we actually start getting kind of more open, flexible marketplaces. But um, that's you know, five, ten years down the line, there's a lot of stuff that needs to happen. Like, w- w- yeah, are, can you can you you know what what do you think would be the steps that you'd take or that will be taken to be able to get us to that sort of world?
1: Yeah, I, mean, I think it's, it's, it's interesting, like, we're, uh, I think Zoba ends up so dialed in on kind of the, where the operations are today. I mean, the signals we see, so I guess one thing is, um, I think you're, you're going to see cities probably get smarter with how they're kind of wielding their power in terms of, um, like, some of these very, very kind of rudimentary regulations where they just, you know, tax you really in- intensely. I think over time, that's going to become more- well, also I, I think I think eventually, like or just or just you know, saying on a per vehicle basis, what you're going to pay the city, I think it's going to be like, look, if you're in these zones, these demand zones, or whatever else, like this is this is the price ascribed to these. In terms of a more unified system, I think one big shift that people underappreciate, is with micromobility and also with AVs. Micromobility look a lot looks a lot more like AVs in some ways than you would think. And the reason why is that you you own the supply or, or the supply is fixed. And so Uber, like these, these Uber models or Doordash or whatever, they're they're two-sided marketplaces. The operator doesn't pay for the trip unless the trip is matched, and then they pay out to the driver, they take a cut. Um, and you know the price is the price is an incentive for the supply, so you can get more supply on the street. With with um, with micro as well as like AVs, it's going to be interesting because you've got some fixed amount of supply in the near term for the city, and then like to your point, you're trying to figure out across all these things: buses, AVs, uh, micro transit, uh, micro mobility, whatever it is like how to best service this whole like ecosystem of demand with an amount of supply that's, that's relatively locked in the near term. It's a, it's a very challenging problem. And so some sort of like cross-functional communication there I think could could definitely work out. I mean, I, I don't, you know, you would know better than I kind of what that might evolve to look like, but.
0: It's like MDS and GBFS, but then like on steroids, you know, with yeah. pricing and the ability to do dynamic pricing and all that sort of stuff, I, yeah, totally. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think that's what, I mean, that's conceptually, that's what MDS is, right? Like, that's why LA DOT came up with it and then subsequently put it into the OMF. But it was just the, it's, uh, sorry, OMF is the Open Mobility Foundation. Gee, I yeah. should uh, stop uh, the, 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 the acronyms. Um, but yeah, the, the, this idea of uh, mobility data specifications is because uh, LA could see that there was a future coming where there were going to be autonomous vehicles on the road and that they wanted to be able to do real-time pricing for them. And you need yeah. to know where the vehicle is and you need to know how to price it and you need to know how to do all that sort of stuff. And yeah, um, I can see a world in which we start doing real-time pricing for our cars on our roads. And that mm-hmm. actually, you know, that is like the biggest thing. It, You know, if, if, if governments were really serious about trying to solve congestion, they would actually do, they would, they would pursue that as a mechanism rather than trying to build more infrastructure. Because I think it just comes down to like, we have mispriced all of our street space allocation. But, 100%, yeah. You know, uh, that's a that's a whole another discussion for another day. Um, yeah. I do want to dig in a little bit. So, so in terms of the tech that you see that's coming down the pipe from operators, right? So, yeah. we've, you talked about swappable batteries. Is that is that a is that a sort of it's not a, I take it's not a silver bullet, but what are the sort of operational efficiencies that you can see getting unlocked by um, operators
1: here? Yeah. So obviously, I, I have a pretty Zoba um, forward take here. I mean, I, th- I think I think I think we think about micro mobility and kind of the evolution. There is rightfully so a tremendous amount of focus on hardware. Um, so everyone's been thinking about the hardware and, and these kind of like these iteration loops, and you guys have done a, gr- a ton of great work on this and um, that makes sense. It, it, it is probably the biggest um, the biggest thing to change the unit economics and make the businesses work. I think that people, just because they can't see it, underestimate how far we are on the operation side of this. And so the way you were describing, you know, operators earlier in terms of like, uh, it being a very like, you know, intuition driven, challenging process, which is super inefficient, that's still mostly how it works. Or, or if it doesn't work that way, it's, it's very early innings. Um, I think people don't realize that. Um, but these problems are very, um, you know, we're, we're solving them, they're hard to solve. Uh, you're dealing with kind of real-world hardware, very fast-changing markets, um, whether or not it's raining completely changes the dynamic in the whole market. Like, it's, they're really challenging issues. But I think there is a tremendous amount there. So, like, on, Zo- on Zoba side, um, it's not uncommon for us to launch in markets and see 30, 40, 50, 60% increases as reasonable on ridership, which, you know, similar to the scooter lasting two, three, four times as long, it it changes the fundamentals of the business. And so we're seeing more and more of that. I Same
0: just want inter- to stress this you are seeing 50 to 60% improvements in some markets. In other words, you're like, you're, you're really changing it from, It's a business that kind of makes money to a business that actually makes money
1: (laughs) yes yeah and that's that's just on the gains in terms of ridership and then you think about like consolidating these tasks so what you have if you don't have this this task consolidation and it's a real like you know micro mobility nerdy topic but for this audience they might enjoy it like if you if you're not doing this what you end up having is people like crisscrossing the city all day so there's a battery swap and then there's like a pickup and there's a drop off and they're driving the, the miles they're driving are, are insane whereas if they were just kind of if it was planned or done in a way where you could you could trade off between all these decision factors which which you can't do with intuition well um, you can consolidate so much of this down and, and just really get a lot more out of each labor hour so like that kind of improvement on the opex side of the business 30 40 50% increases in 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 per asset ridership being feasible I think that like on the operation side that the changes that are, that are possible are as dramatic as on the hardware side. I just think most operators haven't been at that level of the business yet. So like the first thing you do when you start a micro mobility company is like get scooters on the road and like the scooters break and the users throw them in the river and it's like really challenging and you, you know and you're losing scooters and you do that for a while and then you get to a point where you start like tuning. And I think it's you know we're, we're early on in this industry, and and the tuning and the operators that are like doing tuning really well, it is it is not a lot, um, and so it's it's early is what um is what I'm trying to say. I think people don't appreciate that. No one's using the first generation of, of scooters anymore. Like that lasted two three weeks. That 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 is gone. No one does that anymore. Um, a lot of operators are still operating the you know similar way than they were early i think that the big inflection point is anyone who tries to transition to swappables with that model gets you know nailed it's it's really hard
0: really interesting okay um so, if we're just talking logistics, so how does it work for people for, for companies? I, I'm I'm going to do your sales pitch for you here. Yeah, uh, yeah. You, yeah. So for companies that are looking to bring Zobra online, yeah, yeah. how does that work? I mean, how do you know the, are there sort of dynamics to um, uh, like people? So how much access to data can you get and how do you need to be able to make it make sense and then um you know like is it because i take it everybody's running kind of slightly different systems
1: and stuff yeah 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 so so the basic way it works is um the we're kind of building this optimization platform that needs to feed on feed on data um to learn about kind of where there are where there are gaps how the operations run um the way this works like if you you know like all of our scooter co want to kind of test this out, we would run this in simulation first. So if you'd start your data, like a cut of it historically, we'd look in simulation and say, um, look, you guys are underperforming your potential by 40, 50%. We can actually do this before going live. And we don't enter uh, engagements where where there aren't meaningful gains. It's not it's not worth it for for Zoba. And so we look at that, we say, okay, that looks great. Um, and we then start you know generating whatever your kind of operational cadence is. you say I move the vehicles five times a day or whatever, we start generating those those task lists for that. Um, We are an API kind of first company, so this is usually integrating into some other existing part of your stack. Um, And you start to execute on these tasks, we start to measure the impact of those interventions. And that's basically how it works. And on the data side, most of the data we uh, we use relates to trip histories and and vehicle histories. So we want to know where the vehicle's been at all times, when it's been available, when it's been under maintenance. We can actually get just about all of this from MDS. Um, So MDS wasn't designed for this purpose. Um, However, Zoba can get an MDS token and get most of what we need there. Um, I will say with MDS, um, one issue you run into, which I think uh, is also maybe surprising, is um, there's a lot of inconsistency in how MDS is implemented. And so you mobility data specification for anyone um, who's not uh, tracking the, the kind of data part of this. And so you you end up sometimes having like the the actual iot is fine it's just like this was mapped wrong internally or something so that that can be an issue but generally that's how it works and let's say like a a month of data it depends on the market right depends on how many rides you have and what geometry but yeah um
0: and then uh and then the pricing for you works as do you do it on a kind of a fixed
1: rate or how does that work typically by vehicle coverage um and so you know the way we the way we typically do it is we look in simulation we say how it is um we test during a a pilot not always um often and then we start to go from there and and if you're in very many markets you know let's say you have like um, I don't know, like 30,000 vehicles or something, maybe we cover 8,000 initially and then you ramp over time. I will say that you, you tend to, Zoba tends to be more relevant later in a company's life cycle. Like if you're very early, it, there are, there are you, you have to be pretty good at operations to really get the most out of like a very intense, um, decision automation engine. Like if you're, if you're, if you're just trying to like get the basics down, it's, it's,
0: yeah,
1: <laughs> Yeah. It's, it's it's just challenging. And like that took us some time to realize. And so, uh, but if you can execute on this and we monitor kind of like how well these tasks are being executed. Um, yeah. I mean like the combination of the hardware and I think the amount of, uh, I don't want to call it hanging fruit cause it's hard, but gains in, uh, in ops that are possible. Like I think from our vantage point, the these businesses are going to be very strong, and I think people discount the the hardware side. They sorry they they discount the ops side uh, and only focus on hardware.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No. Totally. Having having spent a bit of time, um, I had a conversation with Alan from Beam uh, a little while back, and and his his big his big thing was I mean his his ex Uber uh, and then Mobike, uh, sorry Ob- Ofo, uh, and his his whole point was like this is an ops game. Like that's yeah. where we've found the most value. It's like, we didn't even bother trying to do our own custom hardware. We just went like standard agnostic stuff. We don't really care. It's w- the ops is where we win and lose. And and they've done very well. They've got, got amazing, like growing coverage. across. They're the largest micromobility operator in Asia Pacific. Yeah, um, 100% cool so um the business itself i mean you 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 started in 2016 um this has obviously been a boom and bust uh kind of sector um and and like we've seen billions of dollars poured into scooter operators um how has it been for you as a business to grow through that um and like did you kind of go through the boom bust yourselves and and then um what's it been like for fundraising and things like that
1: Yeah. So on the boom and bust, so last year was obviously hard for anyone exposed to this space. I think that for Zoba, because we're, we're, you know, a pretty deep tech company and we're not like bearing the brunt of these operations, which are so expensive, it it was easier for us. So we actually grew at headcount, um, and, and retained everyone. So for us, um, 20, 20 was a heavy development year and i think we'll be better for it in 2021 um but we were fortunate to keep everyone in and grow um in terms of like the the boom and bust of what we're seeing we we also get quite a bit of visibility into the data obviously on what's happening in in ridership and that has us pretty optimistic and so what we're seeing now depending on the region you know it's different in different regions um but we're seeing let's let's uh let's think like last year kind of coming to what should be peak season. Um, what we were seeing even though the lockdowns are pretty intense in a lot of places is um, while like public transit for for example might be off 20, 30, 40% from where the ridership should be, micromobility in a lot of the markets we're seeing or most of them would be up a bit or only off very slightly but but basically where you'd expect it to be. And so what that tells us as a business is like this year is, you know, as people start to move around, and we've obviously been hugely influenced by you guys and kind of this market for miles, the market for miles got very small, right? Like people just aren't, aren't moving. Um, but like the modal share in that market, uh, from what we've seen was clearly, you know, healthy or growing yeah. as the market for miles starts to expand. Like we're, we're very confident in this year. And then on the fundraising side, um, the you know fundraising's hard. It's 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 always hard. I think Zoba as a company, we feel pretty fortunate. So we're backed by some of the some of the best VCs um, out there, including CRV, which is an early backer in, in Doordash and, and Uber. sorry, Doordash and, and Bird. Uh, and a bunch of generational companies. Um, Founder Collective, Mark Cuban, was involved since the very beginning. Um, Aaron Schlitkraut, who's a former head of data at Uber. Uh, Anthony Goldblum, founder and CEO of Kaggle. So, just a really great crop of investors who are, you know, helping us build Zoba into, you know, we're really trying to build a category. Um, And in terms of, like, the general environment now, you know when micro mobility picks up i think for companies raising in the space it's it's going to pick up um but you know it's a good time to be like a remote work startup it's not a good, great time to be a transportation startup but things will pick up
0: totally i mean it's it, i think the the thing that's interesting for me about what you guys have done is been um you've taken the analytic intelligence aspect and just really honed down on that and then worked out a way to monetize that aspect to it. And I, and I think, you know, one of the things that we've talked about in the, in the micro mobility world is that um, it's an innovation, not an invention. And, mm-hmm. and that over time, this whole sector is going to modularize that, that yeah. there's, you know, that you'll see people like the, the shared operators actually shared operations make most sense as a franchise. Mm-hmm. Um, that you bring in the intelligence, kind of, kind of cobbled together, and you do a McDonald's equivalent, and someone buys the franchise and runs it in a city, and that's a business. And you can see it sort of happening with like the Bird platform and, and others. That n- hasn't actually played out so far. <laughs> we we thought that was going to be the case in terms of how the market would move. Uh, market would move, but I do think that over time, like, there's no way that one large company can own and have assets on every corner in every city and everywhere, like all of mm-hmm. the world. That's just not the way that it's going to play. Um, so this idea that you'll end up with like lots and lots and lots of players, and then how do we build and ensure that the operational efficiencies that are maybe unlocked in Bogota, Colombia, um, mm-hmm. can actually get shared across to somebody who's operating in some uh, some other places, right? And I think that that's uh, where a company like yours is really interesting because it allows um, those learnings to filter up and then to filter down and then actually the overall industry itself learns and grows faster um, so I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm excited I am I'm really uh, it's it's a it's an amazing in some ways an amazing time to be building this kind of companies because we wouldn't have been able to build this even you know five years ago when we were doing Uber and, and Lyft because there just wouldn't have been anybody to buy your products right
1: yeah. Yeah. No, definitely. And I think that that's, that's the way the world's going. I mean, like, if you think about Zoba, and I guess this gets back to the fundraising and, like, when you think about um, what what a very, you know, big Zoba looks like down the road, these kinds of problems Zoba is solving are are pretty hard and pretty specific. Um, and so will you have some, you know, large companies, even think, like, I think micro mobility companies, um, even think bigger. So, like, maybe, like, a food delivery or, or an Uber type. Companies at that scale, you will have good capabilities, and like what Uber has done, is amazing. Um, the economy is generally becoming more urban and more on demand. Generally, um, I think that these are some of the more fundamental problems and some of the harder problems. It's it's really hard to do. You know, Zoba is a Super specialized firm. This is all we do. We pour all of our resources into it. We uh, have, you know, engineering resources just building like simulation tooling to just test certain parts of our system. The, the kind of focus you get as a startup like ours on this problem, um, it, it's hard to match, even with a lot of resources, um, is is what we've seen. Uh, and so, yeah, we're you know we're we're excited. We think that our hope is that. Um, we can kind of enable this transition in much the same way that like it would be hard to build a lot of companies today without the modern, you know, kind of API centric tech stack, you would have to do so much core and so we're, we're, we're thinking that we'll play a lot of the same role for, for sharing. Um, and I mean, as, as far as how the market plays out, like, again, I think this is a topic where I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't dare kind of throw my, my opinion in the ring here is I think you're, you're much sharper on the topic, but, but like, there's a lot of incredible, um, entrepreneurs building companies. And I think however, however, in the, in the micro mobility space, however, they end up evolving, I think whatever kind of iteration it is, we'll be able to serve it, which is exciting.
0: Yeah. Um, wicked. Well, look, man, I, I'm, I'm conscious we're up against time. So uh, I just want to say thank you for this. This has been so super interesting and and I'm, I'm sure that the audience uh, themselves will, will really appreciate it and uh, be able to um, follow up. We Because we're on YouTube, we'll be able to follow off with a bunch of links. Um, but is there any, uh, for folks who do want to track you down, the easiest way to do that would be, are you on Twitter? Are you...
1: Yeah, I'm not. I'm not a big. I'm not a big Twitter uh, person, unfortunately. I feel like this is this is maybe holding me back. But um, you can you can find us at zoba.com, and it's easy to easy to get in touch there. Yeah. Yeah. Wicked. Cool. LinkedIn. LinkedIn is good for good for me, but uh, Twitter on my Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. All right.
0: All right. All right. Um, awesome. Well, hey, thank you so much, Joseph. Really appreciate it.
1: Cool. Thank you.